Before we get into our Bible study, we're going to do a little, little panel discussion tonight. Tonight we're going to be talking about one of the most important things that, or I put it this way, one of the hardest things, um, especially I think for men, to learn to do in the relationship with God, and that's to wait on the Lord. Um, but we're also going to talk about you know, the great benefit that we can learn and, and what happens in our life when we learn how to wait on the Lord. And so I've asked these guys to kind of share a little bit of their story um, for you guys to hear and just you know, get a little bit of a uh, chance to hear from somebody else besides me. So I'm going to start with you, Jamie. Um, this is Jamie. This is Sean. This is Brandon. Everybody say hi. Hi. <laughs> and um, so, Jamie, what has been the hardest thing for you or, or maybe an experience in, you know, learning how to wait on the Lord? Uh, I definitely still struggle. And I, I find the older that I've gotten, the harder it is. I've become more impatient. But... Thinking about, when you asked me that question, thinking about the hardest up to this point was I remember the desire to be, uh, wanting to be used by God. Mm. You know, I recognized a, a gifting that I had, a, a yearning to, to take what God had given me and to put it to use. But, you know, you can't just walk up, you know, to the, to the, the pulpit or just jump in. You kind of are... are That's why Brandon's here. <laughs> See. <laughs> and in a good way, you know, kind of held accountable to the people around you to recognize that and to, uh, you know, the Lord to usher that, um, that moment or those moments. And so I remember struggling, you know, the desire was there and I wanted it, but it wasn't, it wasn't presented to me. And so how, how would I just wait this out, you know, in frustration and and I would be so tempted to try to insert myself and, you know, in awkward moments and ways to, to try to, you know, get my foot in the door or get an opportunity or to be recognized. And, and, uh, and I just remember hearing this one Bible study of a, of a pastor telling that when he was in the same situation, you know, he showed up uh, on a Saturday at church because... He had known that the board meets, you know, in this upper room and thought, man, if I show up and I just start sweeping the parking lot, the window's right there and all the board will see me sweeping. And he was there for a couple hours and was like, man, I don't even see any cars here. I mean, what, what's going on? And it turns out that the board wasn't even meeting that day. And it's just, I was like, that's me. I'm that, I'm that idiot sweeping, trying to be noticed. And so that was really difficult for me. I was, I was young. And, um, and that, I think, um, maybe, I don't know if you're out there and that relates to you, but that was the hardest for me is waiting yeah. for the Lord to give me that opportunity. Okay. What about you, Sean? What's been your experience in struggling with waiting on the Lord? Huh. Um, most of the time, it's uh, usually him repeating the lesson. It's, I don't, so there's a lot of things that the Lord's done in my life. I tend to have a very... Uh, fatalist is the wrong kind of word here, but like I know that God has a plan for me. So I, I, I tend to be gifted with the, that little bit of faith that I know what's happening is of God, but it doesn't go the way I think it's supposed to go. And so commonly I'm in situations like when I was 20, I was playing football down at the University of San Diego, um, starting O-line, and 
Um, that spring ball, I actually developed congestive heart failure. And mm. I um, <laughs> was going just up a flight of stairs, and it felt like I had just done hell week. Um, and it was like overnight, I got diagnosed and was on transplant lists. And, but I had no idea what God was doing. Like, to me, I'm 20 years old in theoretically the prime of my life. Let's be honest, I was O-line, so I was probably not in the prime of my life. Um, but I was um, faced with this, okay, God, you're bigger than what I think. And you are moment by moment taking me through things I don't understand. And to this day, um, I look back at that moment as one of the first times, like the Israelites being walked into that canyon, the box canyon, mm. when they're released. And you think all this amazing stuff is happening for the Israelites. God's in their life. Obviously, he's there. And then all of a sudden, he traps them. You know? And to my knowledge of that time, I was trapped. Mm. But God used that moment. He had to dig some other things out in my life at that time. And he used that to really open up my heart, ironically enough, to see him working. So it wasn't, it was that moment of being boxed in and having to wait, not choosing to wait, Mm -hmm. but having to wait that the Lord keeps bringing me to because each time I get to that point, I go, you know what? I know there's a lot of history here now where the Lord has brought me to this point. I don't understand what's going to happen, but I'm going to rejoice on the other side. Yeah. Amen. I, I, I love what you said there, because I think for, I would relate to that, that some of the times where it's been the hardest for me in waiting on the Lord is when I have no idea what he's doing. I mean, how many of you have experienced that? Like, you know, you're just like, man, Lord, come on. You know, and like you just have no idea what he's doing or how he's working. And it's just like, wait, or it's silent. And, um, you know, we, we say that God always answers our prayers. He, yes, no. Yeah. Or wait, and the wait oftentimes is silence. You know, we don't hear anything from him. So, um, totally can relate to that. What about you, Brandon? What's been your moment or time where you've experienced like that biggest struggle in uh, waiting on God? Uh, well, my biggest struggle uh, was the the concept of actually surrendering my my ability to be self sufficient in my career and how much money I make, and uh, basically the outcome of my life. Um, before I was a believer, it was, I was very money-driven, um, very um, self-focused, right? So as soon as I made the, tran- the transition into becoming a real true believer and actually applied the word instead of just hearing it but actually knowing it and getting closer to God, um, it was that undoing of the old habits, the old ways of thinking. Um, trusting in the Lord will get me through whatever it is instead of it being from my own will um, and allowing myself to get to the line because we all know our God is the 11th hour God. <laughs> so just allowing in my flesh to um, get to that point where okay, now I don't have any control even if I tried. So all the glory would have to go to him. So it was basically trying to get myself to um, really trust um, like unconditionally without any of my own driven. So that was probably the hardest thing about trusting the Lord was just surrendering. 
Um, I think we all can relate to that too. The so, Jamie, how long have you been walking with the Lord now? Been walking with the Lord for twenty six years. Twenty six years. What about you, Sean? I can't do math on the spot. Um, so thirty five years. And you're like 36, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think I gave my life to the Lord when I was five, but progressively kept giving my life to the Lord throughout my okay, What about you, Brian? Uh, Ten years. Ten years. All right. Um, so have any of you got this down yet? Yep. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> Me either. Um, I've been walking with the Lord longer than all of them. It's still a struggle. You know, it's like one of the biggest things is just learning, especially as men, because we, you know, as guys, I think we just have that tendency. We want to fix things and we want to get our hands in there. And, you know, we're kind of wired that way. You know, God wired men to work and God wired men to, you know, want to do things. But, but I think all of us have learned some things. We're still learning, but we've learned some things about you know, what, what a blessing it can be when we do wait on the Lord. So I'm going to go back to you, Jamie. What's, what's been one of the things you've learned in, you know, as you're learning? You, haven't, you don't have it down yet, but as you're learning yeah. how to wait on God, what, what's one of the big things you've learned? Uh, I, love the, um, I love what you said because we are wired to... Um, to almost resist. It's almost like that picture of Jacob, right? Wrestling with God. And we're like, what an idiot. But we do that and the tendency to do that many times. But I think in that it's necessary that we go through these processes so that we can learn and we can grow. And, you know, I, I love what Paul, when he talked about um, really having no need because he was learning this thing called contentment. You know, what does it mean to be content well, it means to whether you have little or you have much, you're the same. You're, you're content. And, and so many times I think what we're waiting for is something that we desire, something that we want, whether if it's an answer, direction, or something physical like a job. I need a job. You know, it's you're like, want it now. But the Lord has this process to teach us contentment. And I, you know, go through those myriad, and I, I shared, you know, with, uh, with the church on Sunday, uh, of emotions and thoughts, worry, doubt, fear, frustration. But I think those are so necessary because that's how God then meets us in those moments to teach us things like contentment, you know? Uh, and as, as long as we pursue the Lord. And I, I guess that's what I would say. I learned to never stop pursuing Jesus mm. because even though I might maybe, uh, you know, to use another story like Thomas, like struggle with doubt, um, as long as I pursue Jesus, there will come a time where he will encounter me in that pursuit. He will, he will appear to me and, and uh, allow me then to figure out that really what I wanted wasn't necessarily what I wanted the whole time. Mm-hmm. I just, I needed him. It was a need. Yeah. So that, that need is something um, I think the Lord has taught me so much more than anything else, my, my need just to pursue him daily above all those other, other wants and needs um, that he's the ultimate source of contentment. That's good. I want to elaborate just for a minute that idea of that we've been wired to work because, you know, when, when God made Adam in the garden, I mean, he gave him jobs to do. You know, he had a job to name all the animals. They, they were told to, 
Um, they were going to tend the garden. That was their, their job. He was wired in that way by God to take care of that. What, what the fall brought to um, the whole process of work is that it was going to be toil and it was going to be hard. But work was always a part of the plant. So I just, that's what I mean, that we've been wired by God. God's made us as men in that way. And so as believers, we're always you know, having to learn how to, well, I like to put it this way, how to respond in the Spirit instead of reacting in our flesh. And in this time of waiting is one of the hardest you know, times to learn how to do that. Brandon, what's been your... Um, you know, biggest lesson that you've learned about the, the Lord through waiting? So it seems like I'm constantly learning this, this <laughs> lesson. So um, there is lessons in, there, there's a lesson in the silence. Mm. And um, that in that moment where you're like, God, how come you're not talking to me? How come you're not giving me direction? Like, ah, it's like, well, Brandon, like, Turn down the volume of the world, the world, and just focus mm-hmm. on me, and you'll hear me. And it's con- that's a constant reminder that he's going to let you get to that point where it's like, I give up. And he's like, okay, now I can move. Mm-hmm. Okay, you were in my way. Now I'm just I'm mm-hmm. waiting for you to stop moving, so you can hear what I'm trying to tell you and align your will with my will because my will is sufficient, not yours. Mm. So, and that's like a constant reminder that every time the Lord allows me in some retrospect to have my way, it doesn't end well at all. (laughs) So then he's like, well, I told you, yeah, you know, just follow me, keep your eyes focused on me and heed my promises, not your understanding. So that's, that's my biggest takeaway. That's good. How many of you have had to learn that God's saying, you just need to get out of the way, Rob? <laughs> That's, oh, man, big time. Um, Sean, what about you? What's your big takeaway? Yeah, so I'm going to do a little twist off yours. Strike that, reverse it. And while pursuing God is definitely one of those ones that is super important, for me, he's been showing me that he pursues me. Mm. Um, and... In situations, if we think about it, the promises in um, the New Testament is that God is the author and finisher of our faith. Um, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Um, These things are God telling a story, that he's the author of our life, and then he's going to finish that story. Mm. A story would be really boring if all it said was, and they lived happily ever after. You wouldn't read that. But if he's telling a story, he's going to paint. And he's going to write. He's mm. going to have climax. It's going to have all these things. You look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 is that classic passage where we get the, those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. And, you know, it's this amazing climax. But it's the last verse in that chapter. Mm. That chapter is full of, it starts out with comfort. The first word in there is comfort. And God is speaking comfort to his people, telling them, you know what? I redeemed you. You have redemption. Your sins are forgiven. I have purged you. And you, in your faith, quote unquote, set up trying to box me into idols, thinking Mm -hmm. that I am something you can contain and worship. But I'm bigger than that. Mm -hmm. I'm way bigger than that. And so he keeps... 
And then finally it climaxes to even those demonic spirits, those hosts of heaven that are, you're so afraid of, that are challenging your life, the nations that make all these laws and rules, they're not even a drop in the bucket to me. Mm. And those hosts of heaven, they come every time I call. You have nothing to fear. And he keeps bringing me that box canyon, and each time I realize, okay, God, there's a lot of history behind me now. I know that I'm back in this canyon, and I know every time before you've come through, and, every, and you promised that you would finish the story. It's becoming not easy, but easier to see and wait and know that God's going to tell that next chapter and say, you know, build to the climax of my life. It's mm, good. I think one of the things that's interesting that you bring up there, Sean, is just how the Lord brings us back a lot of times to the same, you know, the same lessons, the same situations, and you know, to because He's teaching us. Maybe because we didn't get it completely learned the first time, or you know, He's wanting us to show us, you know, something else about Himself. Kind of like I mentioned on Sunday with the disciples. You know, the first time they're in a storm, they learn that Jesus is the one who you know, it has power over the wind and the waves and he can just still any storm. The next time they're in a storm, they find out that he's the one that can walk on water. And uh, so God does that a, a lot. So, hey, we're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 2. So if you want to turn there and uh, let's give these guys a hand for... Uh... All right. Father, we pray that you would just minister your word to our hearts now, and I pray, God, that we would um, see just some tremendous lessons that we can learn from Nehemiah about waiting on you. Thank you, God, for these men that are here tonight. I pray that um, we would be learning together and drawing closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we saw in chapter 1 that Nehemiah got news about how bad things were going in Jerusalem. It was a place that he had never been. It was 1,500 miles from where he was living there in Persia. And yet he hears about his countrymen, the, the Jews, you know, remember, he was born in captivity. He was born there in Persia. And he had, you know, as he grew up, he got involved in working in the government. And he ends up having this job as the king's cupbearer. And, you know, one day some guys are coming from Jerusalem to visit. And they give a report. And they tell him how things are just, the walls are down. And the people are in distress. And Nehemiah, we noted this, his heart was burdened. And we saw in chapter 1 that when he got that news, he began to fast and pray for the people of Israel. And I mentioned last week that, that I know a burden is from the Lord when it doesn't go away. You know, I get a burden for something, some, you know, it might start off as an idea, but then it just keeps burdening my heart. And there might be times where I just, you know, I want to put it aside and go, nah, I don't think that's for me, you know, and I'll put it on the shelf, and it just keeps coming back, and the Lord just won't let it go away. And that's, that's how I know that something is from the Lord, that that burden only builds. And we saw that's exactly what's happening with Nehemiah. And tonight we're going to see that this burden that Nehemiah, that is on Nehemiah's heart is actually going to grow. It's going to build for about four months. And tonight we're going to talk about why that built, and we're going to gain some insight 
on waiting on the Lord. So look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, first of all, this first verse gives us the time frame of this of chapter 2. If you look back in chapter 1, um, in verse 1, it says, and it came to pass in the month of Chislev. Now, Chislev is December. Nisan is April. So four months have passed from the time that Nehemiah hears this news and gets this burden on his heart. And he's been carrying this burden. He's been praying and fasting about the condition of those who have been, you know, there in, that are, that are in Jerusalem for four months. And it just won't go away. It just keeps building on his heart. And then notice what it says next. He says, now I had never been sad in the king's presence before. Now, Actually, it was a dangerous thing. It was a no-no. If you worked for the king, you weren't sad. The king wanted all the people that worked for him to be happy and cheerful and going about, you know, wearing a I love my job and I love my boss t-shirts, you know. That's what he wanted from the people that were working there in the palace. But Nehemiah, for four months, he's burdened, but he's never been sad. And I think this tells us something about Nehemiah. And I don't think it's telling us that he was good at faking it. I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the issue. I think we learn from this that Nehemiah didn't let his burden affect his job. You know, some people, their moods affect everything. You know, if they're down, if they're having, you know, a bad day, Everybody knows it, right? Everybody can tell, and they're letting everybody know, and it's seen on their, their countenance. We, years ago, we had a worship leader here who um, every single time, he was, he was kind of a, a, a moody guy, and, and he could get real melancholy, and you could always tell. Because all the songs he played were just like those downer kind of songs. You know, there was no praise. There was no rejoicing. It was just always, you know, just those, those tone, the, the tone of the songs. You know, he just came out uh, in him. I remember years ago, we used to do this outreach here on, on Sunday nights. We called it I-55. And it was kind of an outreach for young people. And it was very evangelistic oriented. And we had this band that had come from Idaho and they were playing, you know, that night. And I tell you, I think the lead singer, and I actually heard him on the phone before the, the concert started. I think he got in a fight with his wife um, on, the, on the phone. She was in Idaho. He was here because he played like two songs. And then he goes, I just think we need to pray. Now, this is an outreach, okay? A lot of unbelievers here. And he literally like sits down right here and he just starts praying. And he's like confessing all this sin. And, and, and I'm sitting back there and I'm going like, what is he doing? You know, like this is supposed to be an outreach, you know. And, and, and it went on and on. It was like 20, people were getting up and leaving. I mean, it was the most awkward thing ever. That's how some people are, you know. It's like they, it just, everything affects them. That wasn't Nehemiah. Nehemiah was able to give his burden to the Lord 
and go about his work. And no one noticed his burden for four months. But this day was going to be different. Look at verse 2. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Nehemiah, here's what he's doing. He's being honest. In this moment, he's being honest, and he's letting the king know that he was burdened. The reason why you know I'm sad, the reason why you can see this is because I'm just carrying this burden, this weight for my, my people, the Jewish people back in Jerusalem. Nehemiah has been praying for four months, but nothing has been happening. I want you to note this. For four months, he's been praying, God, do something. And I want you to remember, I remind you back in chapter 1, Nehemiah believed that the king was going to be a part of the solution. Look back at chapter 1, verse 11. We saw Nehemiah pray this uh, last week. Oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And here's the part I want you to catch. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's talking there about the king. Nehemiah, when he first prayed on that day that he heard the burden, he, he thought something in him was like, Nehemiah is going to, or excuse me, King Artaxerxes is going to be a part of the solution. So he's praying, Lord, give me mercy in the sight of this man. For four months, he's been praying that God would move and work and that God would give him mercy in the sight of the king. For four months, he's been waiting and praying. And that's hard. I don't like to wait. I'm impatient. One of the hardest things, things I just drives me crazy, is traffic. You get bumper to... Some of you guys that commute, you know, and you're in that, that stuff, you know, every single day, I don't know how you do it. I don't. I, it would just drive me crazy. In fact, I used to think that hell could be being in traffic in 100-degree weather with no A.C., and no radio. To, to me, if, if God said, this is what hell's going to be like, I'd be like, I want none of that. How do I get saved? You know what I mean? <laughs> I hate traffic. I hate waiting. God's always trying to teach me about patience. You know, the favorite American prayer is, Lord, give me patience and I want it now. You know? But there's as much teaching in Scripture that a delayed answer when God delays, that doesn't mean that it's a denial. A delay is, doesn't mean that God's unwilling. We are taught again and again in Scripture to persevere in prayer. God wants us to keep praying. Remember when Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open." But it's all in the present, continuous sense. So he's saying, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Because he wants us to learn persistence in prayer. 
God is working in that time of waiting. Waiting is preparation time. And I want us to note three things tonight that we see in this passage. Three things that God is preparing in the seasons of waiting. The first thing that we learn is that the season of waiting is to prepare us. God was preparing Nehemiah. It was during this time that Nehemiah was learning to pray. It was during this time that he was learning to trust. It was during this time that he was learning to give things to the Lord. And this burden that he gets is going to grow into a vision. He's going to get a vision. You know, too often I think we can be very impetuous, right? There's a a need and we get a burden, but rather than waiting, we take matters into our own hands and we make a mess of things. How many of you have experienced that before? I've done that so many times. Rather than waiting on the Lord, it's like, oh, I know what's the right thing to do, and I just start, I go start doing it, and I'm getting you know, into it, and, but I'm just making a mess of things. I'm just you know, trampling on others, and I'm, and I'm hurting others. We need to learn to wait. It's a time of preparation. When I was a youth pastor here at this church back in 1989, the Lord made it very clear that year that we were going to go to Oregon. We had been praying. We had felt a stirring that God wanted us to go somewhere to plant a church. And in 1989, he made it clear that Oregon was the place. But he didn't actually end up sending us until two years later in 1991. And during those two years, it was a preparation time. During those two years, I discovered I wasn't ready. I thought I was ready in 1989. Like, come on, let's do this. But I, it was during those two years, it was preparation time that God was showing me some things that I needed to learn that were going to be essential for me planting a church. So God makes us wait, first of all, to prepare us. Number two, the Lord has us wait to prepare others. In this case, it's the king. He's going to be preparing the king. So instead of, we see this, instead of the king being offended, that would be the normal reaction because, again, it was like against the law to be sad in the king's presence. But instead of being offended by that, the king is concerned. He's he's not offended by the countenance of Nehemiah. He's concerned because over those four months, Nehemiah has been doing his job well. He's been a faithful servant. And the king loved him. The king had a bond for him. And, and his heart is now, it's concern for him. And so notice verse 4, then the king said to me, what do you request? Artaxerxes' heart had been prepared to respond in this way by the Lord. God had been preparing his heart. God had been working in his heart to have him have a affection and a concern for Nehemiah, his, his servant. It was odd for a king to show this type of concern for one of his servants, to say, well, what do you, what do you, what do you want? What do you request? And then it says, Nehemiah, so I prayed to the God of heaven. This, this is always, there's always a, a place for quick prayers. 
You know, sometimes it like, you know, it's good that we have a prayer life. It's good. We need to be men of prayer. We need to be men who are praying for our families and, you know, praying through, you know, praying for our church and praying for our friends and praying for people that we know that don't know the Lord. I'm a big believer in having, you know, different things that you pray for and you have a make a list that you're going to pray through these things on on various days. I think that's a great way to have you know, a prayer life. I love to pray through the Lord's Prayer as a model and just going through that prayer and you come to, you know, the different different places where it's give us this day our daily bread and it's about provision and you're, you know, praying for your provision. You're praying for those in your family. It's, it's good for us to do that. To have, we need to have a prayer life. I read somewhere today that, you know, prayer, it's, it's, the, the, the Bible is our intake as we're taking in from the Lord and prayer is our outflow that we're, 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 we're communicating with him. He loves that from us. That's one of the things that, that the Lord really lays out about David is David was this man after God. He was a man of prayer. We need to be those kind of men, men who are seeking the Lord, who have an active prayer life. But there's also a place for quick prayers like, Lord, okay, I need help on this one. And sometimes that's all we get. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. He just lays this quick prayer. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be and when will you return? Did you catch that? The king's like, hey, okay. I see what you're saying, but, but how long are you going to be? And when are you going to be back? This is telling. This tells us that Nehemiah was doing his job well. That he had a positive attitude toward work. That he was a diligent worker. And I think this is so noteworthy because I think so often when our heart is somewhere else, it's really difficult to perform the task at hand. When our mind and heart are somewhere else, you know, sometimes over the years we've had different people who have been on our staff that, you know, for one reason or another, they, you know, are, are being called somewhere else, maybe to go plant a church or they're going to, you know, go join some other church. And, and our experience has been with a lot of them is they get what we call short timer syndrome, you know, it's like they're just not here anymore. And it's for those reasons, I, I don't like long goodbyes. It's like, you know, when God's like showing you, okay, God's moving us on, like, okay, how long, you know, like a couple weeks, you know, like, but, but sometimes, you know, they get that, it's hard when, when you're, God's stirring you. Nehemiah wasn't that way. And I want you to notice that the king, the king wasn't like, you know, great, I can get this guy off my back. I can get rid of this guy. You want to go to Jerusalem? Go tomorrow, you know? No. He's like, he wants him back. How long are you going to be gone? How long is it going to take? Because Nehemiah was a faithful worker. Look at the end of verse 6. So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. Nehemiah's thought this through. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, 
and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. Here's the third reason for waiting is that it gave time in Nehemiah's heart for this plan to be developed. That this plan would be like a child growing in the womb. And that child growing in the room, he's growing and he's developing. And sometimes the vision that God gives us that comes out of this burden that, that he's given us, it needs time to grow and develop before it's birthed and before it's shared. So not only had Nehemiah prayed for this opportunity, but he also had planned for it. And during those four months of waiting, he had thought through the matter, and God began to give him a vision of how this could unfold. Nehemiah's reply to the king can be summarized in two requests. I want you to send me, that's verses 2 through 6, and I want you to give to me, that's verses 7 through 10. I want you to send me, and these are going to be the things that I need. Nehemiah couldn't leave his post without the approval of the king. And he couldn't do the work that he wanted to do in Jerusalem without the authority of the king. So he was asking for both of those. I need your approval and I need your authority. Pressure from the local officials had already once before in, in the, when Ezra took a group back. Ezra chapter 4, they faced opposition and it ended up stopping the work. Nehemiah doesn't want to repeat history to repeat itself. So he had a plan that involved a time frame and the provision that he needed. That's what was birthed over this time of waiting. And this is what God often does as we're waiting upon him. He, for whatever it is that you're praying about right now that you're just you know, maybe wrestling with and you've been praying and God's, you're not getting anything right now. It's just waiting. It could be that what God is going to be doing in your heart is he's birthing a plan to deal with that situation. You know, one of the things that I, I like to do is I, I keep a little little notebook with me all the time. And there'll be times when just some of the most random times, it might be in the car, it might be when I'm in a meeting with somebody, and the Lord will just give me a thought. And it's a part of that plan. And I just take that notebook and I just write it down. Just real quick so I don't remember, I don't forget it. I'm almost 60, I'm starting to forget things, you know, and... and uh, so I'll write it down just to, to and, and it's funny how over time it's like that thing just begins to build and it's just God working out, you know, that, that plan. We see here that Nehemiah also requested letters of authority that would provide the materials needed for the construction of the buildings and the walls. This tells us that Nehemiah had done his research well. He even knew the name of the king's, the keeper of the king's forest. He'd done his research and his plan. It was well thought. Here's the thing. God honors plans. Do you realize that? God honors 
plans. Sometimes I meet people who want to go out or they want to be used by the Lord and they don't have any plan. And they'll say, we're just going to step out in faith. And that's honorable. I think that's, you know, you can admire that. But going out in faith doesn't mean that you're going to go out in a haphazard, disorderly manner. Did you know that our God is a God of order? He is. Our God is a God of order. When he was creating the world, it was very orderly how he laid it out over those six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. It was orderly. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, and they were on that journey to go to the promised land, that God, he had them camp as they were camping out by their tribes. It wasn't just random. It wasn't just like Woodstock. It was like, no, you know, there's an order. The tribe of Judah, you camp here. In fact, here's what's little, this is, as Tony Clark would say, here's a freebie for you tonight, okay? Remember the story of Balaam? When Balaam is uh, paid by, I can't remember the king's name, but the king that was, paid him to curse Israel, I think it was the king of Moab. You, you guys remember you with that story? So uh, for those of you who aren't, in Old Testament, there was this prophet by the name of uh, Balaam. And uh, Balaam's donkey, you know, his donkey talks to him, um, that whole story. Well, this king was, wanted him to uh, curse the people of Israel. And so he gets, gets up on a mountain to curse them. But every time he tries to curse them, he ends up blessing him. And this king's getting furious. He goes, I'm not paying you to bless him. I'm paying you to curse him. But as from his vantage point of looking down over the, the tribes of Israel camped out, and what they would do is they would camp. The tabernacle, which was their worship center, would be in the middle of the camp. And then the tribes would, would camp, and there was a smaller tribe up at the top, two very similar tribes uh, on the sides. And then one, the tribe of Judah, was the one that was the biggest tribe that was on the end. And so what that made, when, when, when he looked down, when Balaam looked down, it made a cross. That's what he was seeing. Isn't that cool? God just did that. He had no idea what it meant. But for us, we know that it's the cross of Jesus that allows us to be blessed instead of cursed. And so God was giving us this cool little picture there. But again, as Tony said, that was a little freebie. But, um, but God, he'd, had him, he'd have him, had him camp by tribes on purpose. There was a reason. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, remember he told all the people to have, he told the disciples, have the people sit down. And he had them sit down in groups of 50. He's a God of order. In 1 Corinthians 14, what does Paul say about the gifts? All things are to be done, but they're to be done decently and in order. God is a God of order. So God commends those who think through projects. God commends those who count the costs. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus talks about the wise builder. He's the one who counts the costs before he even starts the project. Or the wise king going into war, that he's counting the cost, that he knows that, that he has enough firepower to win the war before he goes into it. Jesus commended that mentality. There's wisdom, those who calculate and count the cost. 
But always factoring, but, the, but here's what we need to do when we're, we're seeking to count the cost is we always need to be factoring the Lord into the equation as well. It's not just us and our plan, but factoring God into the equation. That's where the faith comes in. You know, I've seen many people launch out in ministry not having counted the cost. And you know what happens? It doesn't take very long for they're discouraged and they end up wanting to quit. So the waiting gave time for this plan to be birthed in Nehemiah's heart. And then Nehemiah, what he does here is he lays it out on the table. And we read next, And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Here's what Nehemiah recognizes, is that the favor he received from the king was not because Nehemiah was this awesome guy. But it was the good hand of the Lord that was upon him. You know, Sean mentioned this verse this evening, Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's what happens. That's the benefit. Not only does God give us a plan, but God begins to work in us a confidence, a strength. Psalm 27, verse 14 tells us, Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Guys, listen, when you wait on the Lord in prayer, you're not wasting your time. You're investing it. Let me say that again. When you wait on the Lord, you're not wasting your time. It can feel that way. You're investing it. Sometimes that waiting on the Lord is God's way of just drawing us into closer fellowship with Him, closer intimacy with Him. I think this is definitely happening in the life of Nehemiah. We're going to see Nehemiah is this guy that just has really in tune to the Spirit. That comes, that happens through waiting on the Lord, learning to wait. God is preparing both you and your circumstances so that his purposes will be accomplished. When we wait on the Lord, he gives us strength, he gives us hope, he gives us direction. We see our problem in light of his provision. How many times have you experienced this? You're in a situation, I've had this happen so many times to me, that just seems overwhelming right? You're looking at it and it just seems overwhelming. Like, like, I don't know what to do. Now the old me, and I still do this sometimes, but I'm learning. The old me would be like, I got to figure out a way to fix this. I got to figure out a way to, you know, work this. I, and I would, oh, I was so good at just striving in my flesh. But as I've learned to wait on the Lord, I start to see that situation. I start to factor him in. I start to see it from his perspective. You start to see the little ways that he's working and moving. Those little things. How many of you have seen that? You know, where all of a sudden you just see, okay, uh, I, where'd that come from? It's just God moving and God working. And he's, he's, you know, and you begin these little glimmers of like, okay, God's doing something. I don't know what it is yet, but he's doing something in this situation. He's preparing us. 
When we wait on the Lord, he, he gives us that strength and that hope. And we begin to see possibilities of what might happen, what God can do. And that's when the burden turns into a vision. And that's what happens here with Nehemiah. God's hand was moving behind the scenes as Nehemiah waited upon the Lord and Nehemiah, Nehemiah is now able to step out with a sense of confidence and being laser focused that God was in this. Look at verse 9. So then I went to the governors of the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And now the king had sent captains of the army and the horsemen with me. All of Nehemiah's needs were supplied. He gets letters of endorsement for his passage so that he can get there without any hang-up. He gets provision, materials for his provision that he needed. And the king even gave him something that he didn't even ask for. Verse 9 tells us that he sent captains from his army for protection. So he gets passage, provision, and protection. It reminds me of what we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that works in us. Isn't it awesome to have your mind just blown by God? Don't you love it when he does that? You're thinking this like, oh Lord, if you could just do this. And he's like, oh, Rob, I've got so much more for you. It's like David when he's asking God, Lord, let me build a, uh, let me build a temple. Let me build a house for you. Remember what God says to David? He says, I'm not going to let you build a house for me. You've shed too much blood, David. Your, your son can build me a house, but this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to build a legacy from your life. From you is going to come the Messiah, the Savior. From, there's always going to be a king from your family on the throne. God's saying, you know, I've got so much more for you, David. I think God has so much more for us than we can imagine. In my office, I have a little plaque. I love to look at this plaque and it just reminds me. It says, pray big. You know, when you have a big God... When you believe in a big God, you pray big prayers. Guys, I think God wants to do some amazing things in our life. But here's what I'm learning. The things that God wants to do with us are often not what we would, thought he was going to do. You know, in my life, I had some ideas of what I thought God was maybe going to do and how he was going to work. And, and when he when it was obvious that he was, wasn't moving in that direction, I got really discouraged because I thought, you know, the plan that I had imagined in my mind was a really good plan. But I came to realize that, man, what he has done, so much better. So much better. We have to learn to wait on him. It was Chuck Swindoll who said this. Praying and waiting go hand in hand. You have never really prayed until you have learned to wait. And to wait with release, abandon yourself, 
and let God change the king's heart. Praying and waiting go hand in hand. But I want you to notice one last thing here tonight, and it's this. Just because God is moving doesn't mean there won't be opposition. Be easy to look at this and go, okay, Nehemiah, prayer warrior. Such an awesome example. Nehemiah waiting on the Lord. Oh, such a great example. God gives him this plan that's just so awesome. And now it's going to be smooth sailing. Nope, notice what we read next. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. These guys are some evil men. And they're going to cause some major problems for Nehemiah and the people of Israel. And just like we've seen, these guys are going to come up over and over again in this story as we keep going through it. And just like we've seen in the book of Acts, every single time that God is moving in some place, or God is moving in somebody's life, the enemy raises up in opposition. And that's what we're going to see here in the book of Nehemiah. God has given him a plan. God has given provision. God has given direction. But they're going to face some great opposition. And we're going to get into that next week. But we learn from tonight, Nehemiah and his waiting, these four months that he has been praying and waiting and seeking the Lord, God was first of all preparing him. Then God was preparing the king. So that the king just looked upon him in favor. And then God was preparing this plan inside of Nehemiah's heart. And when it was time, when the, suddenly the Lord moves, and it's like, okay, after four months, like, okay, now's the moment. The king asks that question, and Nehemiah lays it out. And so, guys, I want to encourage all of us. Let's be learning what it means for us to wait on the Lord, to wait for him, to, to not get discouraged when you know, the answer is a, a silence, but to lean in and go, okay, God, what are you wanting to do? What are you preparing? Ask him that question. What are you preparing? In this situation, are you preparing me? In what way? Lord, I want to be open to that. Lord, are you preparing someone else? Are you working in my family in some way? And then, are you preparing a plan? I want to encourage you guys. Let's resist that tendency that we can have to want to just rush in and fix things. And let's learn to be those men who, instead of reacting in our flesh, we're learning how to respond to the Spirit. And that happens as we wait upon the Lord.